This is America on Par, a powerful punch of political punditry in a pithy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Parr. This is the fifth episode in a series on climate. And if you have it, make sure you go back and listen to the other four. They are Do You Even Science Bro, Words Have Meaning Climate Edition, The Models Are Wrong, and Rejecting the Null. In those four, I go over what's wrong with climate science as it's represented by the so-called consensus. But I don't like just pointing out what's wrong without showing an alternative. And that's what this podcast is about, the alternative. Now, I'm going to get I'm gonna get pretty sciencey here on you. We're going to get into a lot of stuff uh, on the sun and, and solar activity. I'm going to throw out a lot of words at you, but stick with me. I think you're going to find this worth it at the end. You may not have heard ever a lot of these ideas, and hopefully by the end of this podcast, it's going to make a lot of sense to you about why I think there's another alternative, a better alternative than carbon dioxide-based climate change. I believe all the changes in our climate start with the sun. It's where most of the heat we have on Earth comes from. Radiation from the sun reaches the Earth, warms up any molecule it touches, whether that's carbon dioxide or water vapor or birds or trees or rocks or ocean, whatever. It all starts the same way. The sun's radiation is absorbed by an object. That object re-radiates heat, warming other nearby objects. Now, the sun is not constant. It changes over time in how much radiation it emits. There are cycles, on average, about 11 Earth years long, in which the sun becomes more active and then less active. And each of these cycles is not the same in intensity. There's some cycles that are more intense or some cycles that are pretty weak. During the intense cycles, the sun puts out more radiation, has more explosions on its surface. Those explosions sometimes launch what are called coronal mass ejections, CMEs. These coronal mass ejections launch charged particles from the sun out into space. Those can and will hit the Earth. They cause the auroras at the North Poles and the South Pole, and that's when they interact with the magnetic field. Now, they can also damage satellites and electronics here at the surface. We can track these cycles over time, and we actually have a pretty good record of solar cycles going back about 400 years. It's a lot better than our, our temperature record is. We can track the activity on the surface of the sun with sunspots, black spots where there's increased magnetic activity on the sun's surface. Now, when the sun is more active, there are more sunspots. When it's less active, there are fewer sunspots. And again, we have a very good record of these spots going all the way back to Galileo. Now, the periodic changes in the sun's activity is mathematically not enough to account for all of the warming we've seen since the 1850s. But there is a theory on how the effects of those solar cycles can be amplified. It's called the Svensmark Cosmic Ray Theory. Henrik Svensmark is a Danish physicist. He noted the Earth is being bombarded by radiation from deep space all the time. This radiation is from exploding stars and other sources, and it's called cosmic rays. And as these cosmic rays bombard the Earth, they create very tiny charged particles in our atmosphere. And those particles, because they're now charged, positive and negative, attract water molecules, which have a, a positive end and a negative end, kind of like a little bit of a magnet. 
they become what are called condensation nuclei, basically seeds for clouds. As more and more water connects with these charged particles, clouds form in the atmosphere. Certainly not the only way that clouds form, but on a day where more cosmic rays reach the Earth's atmosphere, it would be easier for clouds to form. And those clouds would then block out sunlight, making it more difficult for the Earth to heat up. So here's how cosmic rays and solar cycles amplify warming and cooling here on Earth. When the sun is in a more active phase, it launches more coronal mass ejections. As those particles reach the Earth, they physically push away cosmic radiation arriving from deep space. Think of it like a leaf blower blowing cosmic rays away from us. With fewer cosmic rays reaching the atmosphere, we get fewer clouds forming. So when a sun is in a more active phase, more of the sun's radiation reaches the Earth. When it's in a less active phase, less of the sun's radiation reaches the Earth. So the effect of the solar cycles would be magnified if Svensmark's cosmic ray theory was correct. One of my complaints with the mainstream consensus on carbon dioxide-based climate science is that the ideas haven't been tested in laboratory conditions to see if they're in line with predictions. The cosmic ray theory has. In a lab, they bombarded a container of air with cosmic rays, and they successfully created condensation nuclei. It was also tested by scientists at the CERN supercollider, and it was found to be accurate. So the idea now has some merit, some laboratory validity. But does it work in the real world? A few years ago, there was a study done looking at the effect of coronal mass ejections from the sun and cloud cover here on Earth. The study examined every coronal mass ejection during the last 100 years or so and then looked at temperatures in Europe. And here's the really interesting finding. Three days after coronal mass ejection, the range of temperatures from morning low to afternoon high peaked across Europe. You had a very big difference from the morning until the afternoon, three days after a coronal mass ejection. Why? Well, you get your biggest daily temperature changes on clear, sunny days. On cloudy days, the difference between your morning low and your afternoon high is much smaller. So the data suggests three days after the sun launches charged particles at the Earth, we generally have sunnier skies over Europe than, than on other days. It's exactly what the Svensmark's cosmic ray theory would predict. Now, if you remember in my podcast, The Models Are Wrong, I said the UN's climate models predicted most of our warming would occur in the atmosphere above the equator and the tropics, around the middle part of the Earth. But that's not where most of our warming occurred. It actually happened at the surface of the Northern Hemisphere. If the cosmic ray theory is correct, that's exactly where most of our warming should occur because that's where most of the land is. Land warms faster than water or air. If more sunlight is reaching the Earth while the sun is in a more active phase, then the land will warm faster than the oceans, and that's exactly what the data is showing. Now let's take this idea a step further. Remember, I told you the sun has 11-year uh, cycles. that goes through uh, each cycle is a little bit different. Some are stronger, some are weaker. If Svensmark's ideas are correct, then when the sun is in a more active cycle, we would expect the Earth to get warmer. If the sun is in a less active phase, we would expect the Earth to get cooler. 
Well, there's a period from about 1650 until 1700 when the sun was in a deep, deep lull. There were very few sunspots for several cycles. That time's called the Maunder Minimum. And during that exact same time, the Earth was going through a mini ice age. The Thames River in London regularly froze over, allowing big festivals and markets to set up out in the middle of the frozen river. That kind of thing's pretty unthinkable in today's climate. There's another period around 1800 that featured very few sunspots. It's called the Dalton Minimum, and it coincided with another very cold time here on Earth, another mini ice age. And when people say we've been warming up from a mini ice age, that's what they're talking about, the Dalton Minimum. The solar cycles of the 20th century have generally been much more active than those of the 1800s, the 1700s, and the 1600s. We've had 24 solar cycles since we first started keeping track of sunspots. Four of the six most active occurred in the last 100 years. All of those corresponded to rising temperatures here on Earth. So here's how I think climate changes happens. It starts with the sun. When the sun is more active, we get more radiation and we warm up. When the sun is less active, we get more cosmic rays, creating more cloud cover, blocking solar radiation even more, and cooling us down. The effects are more drastic initially over land, but the oceans actually play a, a much bigger role. They receive most of the radiation since most of the Earth is covered in oceans. It just takes them longer to warm up and cool down. It's kind of like a heat sink, basically. They then play a huge role in redistributing the heat that they absorb. Oceans are not static. They flow in a very complex manner. The heat will get redistributed in waves, piling up in some places and cooling down in others. This redistribution of the heat has shorter-term effects on the climate that are large and pronounced. The best example is the El Nino-La Nina pattern over the Pacific. El Ninos will warm the planet overall for several years. La Ninas do the opposite. Those patterns exist in all the oceans and fluctuate in different ways. Now you add to this mix the shorter term effect of volcanoes and the cooling that a major eruption can create for one to three years. And the vast majority of the changes we've seen in global temperatures can be explained by purely natural causes. The sun, the oceans, and volcanoes. None of those did we create. None of those can we stop. So let's put these ideas to the test. Let's make some predictions about global temperatures, and we'll see who's correct. We're coming to the end of a decent-sized El Nino right now. It will fade in, in the first part of 2016, but the redistribution of the heat from the El Nino will continue, and I expect, in general, a global warming trend in 2016, at least through the first half of 2016. Longer term... We are now into the second half of solar cycle 24. This was the weakest solar cycle in 100 years. The three previous were all very strong. Now, I don't think it's coincidence that the pause in global warming coincided with the ending of solar cycle 23 and the beginning of 24. The forecast for solar cycle 25 is rather low. Indications are 25 will be as weak, if not weaker than, 24. So that means we should expect global cooling for the next 20 years or so. Given that, I think it's likely temperatures could be cooler by 2030 than they were in the 1970s. 
So instead of outlawing electricity, maybe our global leaders should start firing up some coal plants. Winter is coming. 